Good morning, ladies, and welcome uh, to, to those that are listening on the podcast. Thanks for coming. Thanks for joining me this morning as I look into chapter 7 and 8 with you, uh, which is great to hear Emma uh, read some of the scripture that we're going to be looking at. And we're studying the gospel according to Luke. And we know back from Jenna's introduction a couple weeks ago that the purpose of this book is, was given in verse 4, chapter 1, verse 4, that you may have certainty concerning the things which you have been taught. We will see this today when we look in chapter 7 and 8. But more than that, we're going to start to see two themes emerge in these two chapters. And they are the theme that Jesus is a compassionate Savior. And, and I think the title of our study today in week 4 is Jesus a Compassionate Savior. And there's another theme, and that is this theme of inclusion. And we're going to see it right away. The very first thing that Emma read was we looked at a centurion's servant, and the centurion was a Gentile. So we are going to be introduced to this theme that this gospel message is not only for the Jewish people, it is also for the Gentiles. And this is a very... uh, I'm sure a hard thing for the Jewish people to hear, but it is the truth and it is the, the, uh, the beautiful redemption story that, that, that God has planned. Uh, Lydia Brownback writes in her study manual, Luke shows more than any other of the three gospels that Jesus had a tender heart for women and he valued their personhood. And Luke also emphasizes Jesus' compassion for the lost and the lonely. So we're going to look at a whole bunch of people this morning. And we're going to see that, yep, there's lost, there's lonely, lonely, and there's women. And he has compassion on all of them. Um, so before we just start our study this morning, I'd just like to, to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask that you prepare our ears to hear your word this morning, to receive it and hold it tight, and to respond with an ever-increasing faith. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we start out with the centurion. Now, after Jesus had finished all of his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered this town, Capernaum. And there was a centurion there. He must have heard about Jesus. Everybody, I'm sure, in the whole area of Galilee has heard about Jesus. And he comes to Jesus with a request. And in that simple request, we learn a lot about the centurion. First and most important is he's a Gentile. But he also has compassion and kindness. He values his servant, which is not common of the day. He is generous. He loves the people of the nation of Israel, and he has built them a synagogue, and he's helped in the Capernaum area. He's kind. He exemplifies things that we read about in Luke 6. He loves, he gives, he judges not. And it's just a beautiful picture of a man of faith. He asks Jesus to come to heal a servant, and Jesus goes. He doesn't come in person. He sends the elders of the church to go and ask him for this. And, and then at one point, 
he stops Jesus from coming. He says, I'm not worthy of you to enter my house. And it's a beautiful understanding that he as a Gentile has asked a Jew to come into his house. And that is a rare occurrence. It's not done. But he also knows his unworthiness and how worthy Jesus is. So I thought those were beautiful points. So we see that he has this faith. He asks, he knows he's unworthy. And then he starts to explain his faith to Jesus. He says, I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say, go, and they go and do, and they do. And he understands, and it's incredible, he understands that Jesus is under God's authority and has the authority to speak and things are done. And that faith allows Jesus to marvel and say, I have not even seen this in the whole nation of Israel. And that servant is healed by Jesus' simple words. And, And it doesn't even say it but in verse 10 it's revealed and when those who had been sent returned to the house they found the servant well so it just points to this beautiful authority of jesus the authority of his spoken word that he can heal he doesn't even have to come and touch he can heal by his very word so i I just love this the story of faith revealed and the authority of jesus also revealed and then, then, it's not too long afterwards, he's in the town of Nain. And, and his disciples are coming in, and there's a great crowd around, and, and, and all of a sudden, they, they come to the gate to the city, and this funeral procession is coming out of the city. And we're told that who, who has died, and it is the only son of a widow. So right away, we know this woman is destitute. She is, that, that is her fate. She has no husband, no son. She has no provision. She has no protection. She is grieving, and she is destitute, and she's a woman. And Jesus' compassion is immediate. He saw her in verse 11, or 12. He saw her and had compassion on her. Sorry, verse 13. And the first thing he does is says to her, don't weep. He walks right up to the plank where the dead body is and he touches it, which is something that would make him unclean, ceremony unclean. But he has such compassion on this woman. He wants to go. He wants to heal the son, to relieve her grief, to restore her to a place where she's provided for and protected. And he intervenes in a beautiful way. By his spoken word, young man, I say to you, arise. And the young man sat up. And in tenderness, then, look what Jesus does. He returns the son to his mother. Just restored her back into this beautiful family that she so desperately needed. So again, this story of the widow of Nain points to the authority of Jesus' words. He speaks and it's done. And he heals. He has the power to heal. He has the power to restore from the dead. It's just a beautiful illustration of the reach of God, that he could reach people that we think are unreachable. 
So it's a beautiful showing of his compassion, but also this inclusion because he's talking about a Gentile, but he's also including women, which is a big thing in Jesus' day. Um, when we read on, the next part is the messengers from John the Baptist. And we're just going to look at this kind of quickly because there's so much in these two chapters. But I wanted to make sure that you understood that John the Baptist has questions. He has some doubts. He needs an answer from Jesus. And he gets it. And the answer is, yes, I am the Messiah. That's what Jesus says. And it, that message is sent back to John. And that is that beautiful certainty that John the Baptist needed. But in the beginning of the book, other people needed it because that is the whole reason why they wrote the book, the Theophilus. And then it goes on, to, he, Jesus goes on to explain this unprecedented prophetic role that John holds in God's plan. And then Jesus goes on and, he, and he's going to talk specifically here to the Pharisees, to the Jewish religious leaders, and he's going to tell them. In, and it's in verses 31 to 35. I'm going to sum it up like this. You didn't like John. You didn't like Jesus. And you're just making excuses not to like the messengers, but really, you're rejecting the message. And when you reject the message, you're rejecting your Messiah. So it was real words of, of rebuke to the Pharisees. Next, we're going to look at the sinful woman. And this is just an unbelievable picture. The Pharisees, whom Jesus is clearly calling out on their sin of unbelief, one of them comes up to Jesus and says, come dine in my house. And Jesus, without hesitation, says, okay. So he comes in, and it's in a big room. And in the center is the table. The men recline at the table so that their heads are closer to the table, their feet are outward. And the interesting thing is, if you heard about this dinner party and you knew that somebody was at that dinner party that you wanted to hear the conversation, you could come and stand all around the outside of the room. And this is what's happening. So Jesus is invited to the Pharisee's house. He comes, he's <coughs> reclining. People are standing around. And then this remarkable thing happens. A woman enters. And she comes in courage, and she comes with a purpose. <laughs> She's uninvited, but that was, that was understood that that could happen. But she came specifically to see Jesus. And she does something. She starts weeping these tears enough to wet his feet, and she takes her hair and she wipes it. She kisses his feet and she anoints his feet with oil. So she has obviously sacrificed a lot of money to bring the oil to pour on Jesus' feet. But she is worshiping him. She is revealing her heart to him and to others, and they're witnessing it. And the amazing thing is, is Simon is sitting across from the table, and he is so, so shocked. And he's not pleased. And he has this conversation in his mind that goes, I can't believe that if you say you're the Messiah, you are actually allowing this woman to touch you and do that. And then he judges her in his mind and he calls her a sinner. So he's revealing his heart. He's doing it secretly in his head, but we all know that Jesus can understand our thoughts. He can hear our thoughts. 
So Jesus invites him into a conversation. And he says, Simon, I have something to say to you. And Simon says, okay, say it. He, he's very unaware at this point that Jesus knows exactly what's in his heart. So Jesus goes on to compare these two, the sinful woman and Simon, to expose the self-righteousness in Simon's heart and in the hearts of the Pharisees. And he goes on to say, when I came into your house, you didn't do this for me, which was, it was a host showed a gracious welcoming to his guest. And he said, you didn't do this for me, but she did. Oh, and you didn't do this for me, but she did. And you didn't do this for me, but she did. So Jesus gives this rebuke to Simon. And it just reveals so clearly Jesus just... He can expose people's hearts. He sees into the heart of people. He can expose it. But he also has compassion. He told Simon the Pharisee the parable about the money lender. And it's shocking at the end of it because it says the money lender forgave both debtors. Jesus has a power to forgive. Jesus has a power to forgive a woman that is sinful. But he has the power also to forgive a self-righteous Pharisee. But here's the thing, the self-righteous Pharisee rejected the word, therefore rejected the Messiah, therefore he didn't want to be forgiven, he didn't think he needed forgiven. And there is a danger in that, and that's where the warning from Jesus comes in. On the woman, on the other hand, the sinful woman was forgiven, and she was forgiven much. Jesus clearly gives that woman afterwards much-needed words of assurance and comfort. He says, your sins have been forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Go in peace. What a tender, beautiful thing to say to that woman. So I want you to, to know here and to, and to see that Jesus not only gave, him, gave her, that simple woman, his time, he also gave her compassion, forgiveness, explanation, and blessing. Where she was seen in contempt by Simon and by all the Pharisees and probably by most of the town that she lived in, Jesus did not. Jesus looked into her heart and saw her brokenness, her humility, and he responded with love and mercy. That's a beautiful gospel picture a hopeless condition, a life with sin, and then this impossible gift of forgiveness. And, and, and that's the gospel message that Jesus gives here. We're moving on into chapter 8. And Jesus is going to teach a parable. And then he's going to give an explanation to his disciples what the parable meant. And really, the purpose of the parable is found in verse 8. So chapter 8, verse 8 reads, at the very end, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So his, his intention is that you have to be very careful about how you hear the word of God. The gospel message. Jesus is the Messiah. 
and thus have the right response to Jesus himself. So when we look at verses 9 to 15, Luke doesn't so much focus on the four categories as much as seeking to understand the response towards God's word. And he says, good soil receives the seed. So in other words, good hearts receive the word. But don't miss that there's also this warning in verses 9 to 15. Those who reject the gospel message, that is, then the gospel message is that salvation in Jesus, is in Jesus Christ alone, harden their hearts towards Jesus. And in this persistence of refusing him, they can no longer see anything or hear anything. And this points to a coming judgment. Ladies, we don't want to harden our hearts to the word of God. Verse 15, chapter 8, 15 tells us those who receive the word hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit in patience. This should be every hearer's response. This response is an evidence of faith. God is at work among those who hear, receive, and welcome his word. And those who believe God will give more and more insight and understanding. It's the beginning of a spiritual journey of transformation. This beautiful living word of God working in the believer by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, so what does this good soil look like? What does this family of God look like? Okay, we're, we're going to be this good soil. We're going to take in the word of God. Well, let's look at the bookends that, that are around this parable. If we go before the parable and look at chapter 8, verses 1 to 3, we see that Jesus is walking around proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God with 12 of his disciples and some women. So we know that these women have responded to the word in faith. It says that he, they, he healed these women, so they've been healed. They're following Jesus. They're partaking in his ministry. Wow. That is a compassionate savior to notice these women, to heal them, forgive them. And their response was to believe, follow, serve, support, and participate in proclaiming the good news. So these women had an open and prominent part of the ministry of Jesus. What's on the other side of the parable, the other bookend? It's in verses 19 to 21. And it's the story that when Jesus' earthly mother and brothers couldn't get near him for the crowds of people, and his disciples said, look at there, they want to see you, he answered his disciples, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. So those who respond to the word in faith, Jesus calls family. We have a new family. We belong to a family of hearers and doers. So the, the women and the disciples from 1 to 3, the new family of mothers and brothers in 19 to 21 are sowing the seed. They're partaking in Jesus' ministry. They're hearers, believers, and doers. And what a beautiful picture of this family of God. 
we're going to see where Jesus then sails to this area of the Gerasenes. And he comes across a really interesting man. And he's described in verses 26. We're going to look at this section from verses 26 to 39. And it's not a pretty picture. This man is isolated. He's living amongst the tombs in a cemetery. He's not in his right mind. He's demon-possessed. He is absolutely rejected by society. He is in a hopeless state. But the beautiful thing is, in verse 28, when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? So he recognizes Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He has compassion on him. He heals him. And we read later on in verse 35 that when, when people came back, after they had heard the story and they came back, they found the man from whom the demons had gone sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. So Jesus healed him, restored him into fellowship, not only with the whole of the area where he was living, but with himself. He restored him to to Jesus himself, clothed him. He gave him his right mind. And it's just this beautiful picture of the power of of Jesus to heal. But, But the people that saw this and witnessed it, they run back, they get more people, they come back, they see the man healed, he's sitting at the feet of Jesus, and it tells us that they were afraid. They were seized with great fear in verse 37. Well, I think if I saw a miracle happen and I saw that man totally restored and sitting at the feet of Jesus, that might not have been my response. I might have been marveling at how a demon-possessed man got to be clothed in his right mind sitting at Jesus' feet. But they were more interested in the pigs that got lost because Jesus had called the demons out, sent them into the pigs, and the pigs ran off the cliff and died. That was their, the area of guarantees. That was their income. That was their livelihood. It was their possessions. And they were more worried about their possessions and their wealth than they were about this man. So it revealed their heart. Their heart had no room to hear this beautiful gospel message. So this story just points to the compassion of Jesus for the hopeless. His power over the spiritual world, but also his power to reveal hearts. Hearts of those who believe and hearts of those that don't. And then we're going to look now at the end of chapter 8. And we're going to, Luke lays out this, this beautiful intertwined story that Emma read. We have Jairus with his dying daughter. And then we have this woman with this incurable bleeding. And, and Jairus is a prominent religious leader. And that means that he was given great esteem in his community and he had authority over the Jewish community. And yet he knew to come to Jesus and he humbled himself. And it says in the verses that he fell at the feet of Jesus. He was desperate. And we are told why he's desperate. And that's because his only daughter was dying and his only hope was Jesus. Oh, but all of a sudden enter this woman. She had been bleeding for 12 years. 
It was chronic bleeding that left her unclean and extremely isolated. She couldn't go anywhere because anything basically she touched was unclean, so she wasn't going to people's homes. She wasn't going to the synagogue, so she's isolated. She's in a fairly desperate state. She spent all her money trying to cure this and can't. So, like Jairus, she was desperate, but she knew her only hope was Jesus. So she touches his garment. And when she is found out, she, like Jairus, immediately falls at the feet of Jesus. And she explains to Jesus why she did what she did. The compassionate Savior calls her daughter. So it's Jesus welcomed her into God's family. He healed her, restored her to society, and because of her faith in Jesus Christ, she was adopted into God's family. And now we come back to Jairus, because now, back, these people return from Jairus' house, and they say, Jesus, don't bother coming. Jairus' daughter has died. So poor Jairus, he had this request. He, he knows his only hope is Jesus. He's so desperate. He comes. Jesus is on his way. And there's this interruption. But I want you to note that Jairus doesn't lose his faith. I think in the patience and the waiting and the observing of Jesus and his compassion and his healing, it is going to strengthen Jairus' faith. Because Jesus immediately says to him upon that horrendous news, he said, don't, um, don't weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. Now, whether that's, I don't know if he totally believed that or not, but it was a compassionate thing to say, knowing the depth of the grief of this desperate man. And Jesus goes on, he enters the house, and with the spoken word, he says, child, arise, and that, re- that child is restored to life. But in calling her child, he's also called her daughter. So in these two instances of this beautiful intertwined story, he's calling both the women daughters. And it's a revelation that when you believe in Jesus and you believe that he died for your sins, you, you have this, um, you're saved and you enter into this family of God and he, you, he calls you daughters. You have a place in his family and that is just an incredible uh, thing to know and an incredible thing for those two women to hear. So these two miracles reveal the faith of Jairus and the faith of the woman Their only hope was Jesus. And this section points to Jesus' power to heal afflictions and death itself. It points to Jesus' compassion for the desperate. And it is a beautiful example of belief in Jesus as God's son and also being adopted into God's family. So to to wrap it up, we know that when Jesus is performing all these miracles, the healing of the sick, the healing of the demon-possessed, he's validating who he is. He is Jesus, the Messiah, and this gives us certainty. And that is what the, the, why the book of Luke was written. But it also shows Jesus as a compassionate Savior that no one is outside his reach. It shows that Jesus has the power to forgive sins and to turn sinners into children of God. And what is our response? Our response 
should be to hunger after God's word, to hide it in our hearts, to treasure it, to hold it tight, to try to live by it. And God blesses us with more learning and more understanding of of what he's trying to teach us. Jesus wants us to partake in his gospel ministry, to sow the seed, to praise his name, tell of the glorious things that he has done in your life. So when you leave here this morning, know with absolute certainty that Jesus is who the Bible says he is. He came to save you from your sins and you're a daughter of a king. So know where you stand in the family of God and in God's sight. And we just thank you for this.